Let me tell you what uh, what I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about what we've had a couple of guests over the last few weeks. Paul Richards, who's online up there, but he's not in front of his camera right this moment. Uh, but Paul Paul brought his take on on contemplation and the impact on our union with Christ, on our life with Christ. And then last week, Chris Carter was here. And uh, there's probably a, a number of things that we could call what Chris Carter was talking about, but I'm going to call it Encounter tonight. And I, I realized that our normal habit of being able to take questions and share testimonies and ask questions and all that kind of stuff, it kind of gets disrupted when you have guests because, one, they're not usually used to that so much. And uh, and we just, you know, kind of press with the time and all that. So today we're going to have time if you have questions about either of those two things or anything that I bring up tonight. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about contemplation and encounter as gifts that were brought to us by these these guys. And I'm so grateful, Paul, for what you brought. And I've been mulling over it, pondering over it. We've been talking about it. I've got uh, I've got stuff, uh, emails and and text from people about how the combination of the contemplation and the encounter stuff that Chris was talking about really added value to to life. It added value to to what we were doing. So I want you to know that. And then, uh, like I say, there'll be an occasion for you to speak up in defense of yourself as I summarize what you (laughs) said. But uh, I want you to think about these as gifts that we can use to obey a very fundamental admonition in Scripture. And that scripture is, come to me, so that you can receive. Now, the one that, that first comes to my mind when I think of that, when, when Jesus says, come to me, so you can receive, uh, is, is the first passage we're going to look at in a little bit. But I want to talk about what the contemplation is, as I understand it, what the encounter is, as I understand it, and I want to talk about what you're doing. So, Father, if you would, uh, if you would just help me, Make this clear and stir up in the people, both those that are joining in Zoom and those who are here in the room, stir up in us a deeper understanding, a a, a more, I don't know if deeper is really the word, Lord, a better understanding that this thing that Jesus said when he says, come to me to receive life, come to me to receive rest, come to me to receive the flow of the Holy Spirit, that, that this isn't just a religious admonition to become a Christian. It isn't just a religious admonition to live a better life. It is actually you speaking from your knowledge of redemption and speaking from the Father's knowledge of the plan of redemption that was embodied as you came. And so you're telling us about our lives. You're telling us about the Father's plan for redemption. You're telling us about the redemptive work that you did on the cross in ways that I know for most of my life I glossed over and didn't take it as literally and as seriously uh, and as life-giving as it could be. So I pray tonight that you would just help us set this context, help me set that context for us, help us think about it, and then cause our own experiences, at whatever level they are, cause our own questions, no matter what. There's not going to be a a bad question tonight about this. Cause this to stir up in us so that we can walk away tonight and we can engage in worship and we can encounter you and we can set aside in a meaningful way time and silence so that we can understand and appreciate and begin to experience our union with you and in the life dynamic between you and the Father and the Spirit in a greater way. So that's my, my, my request tonight, Lord, that you'd help us all understand that in a way that's meaningful to us. 
So, uh, thinking about them as gifts, here's contemplation. This was Paul's gift to us. Now, it's not original to Paul, <laughs> and he, he and we won't be the last ones to, to discover it and think about it. But essentially, here's how I described it. It's coming to Jesus himself using time, silence, and focus. Okay? And a, a, this isn't a complicated message by any stretch of the imagination tonight. Uh, so that's just basically what it is. The opposite of that, if it helps you think about that, is... Uh, either not coming to Jesus using those things, that would be a failure to contemplate, or coming to Jesus uh, just with a list or just a prayer quest, prayer list. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but I'm saying that's the other side. Intercession, um, appealing to God for things, um, petition, those are, those are okay, they're great. There's nothing wrong with them. They have their place. But contemplation does something different. It puts us in a different position. And then, encounter. This is what Chris talked about last week. Coming to Jesus by opening our spiritual eyes and engaging our clean imagination. Now, what do I mean by a clean imagination? The reason I put the qualifier in there and and referred to that verse in John is, uh, is because I think... For many people, especially many of us in evangelicals, Pentecostals, Reformed people, whatever, I think that we're afraid of our imagination. And maybe it's because the only place that we can think about a scripture that talks about imagination is the warning in 2 Corinthians 10 about uh, casting down vain imaginations. It's a, it's, it's a spiritual reality that your imagination can be vain, but your imagination can also be clean. I was going to put sanctified, but it sounded religious and it had too many letters and it was going to make it go into a third line. So it's not really any more complicated as far as a word choice than that. Here's what that, that scripture says if you look it up. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. You are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. Now, I didn't make that up. Jesus said that. And there's meaning behind that. And it's, it's, it's where it's talking about... If you abide in me, and my father's the husbandman, and the pruning and all this kind of stuff. And we pulled all kinds of doctrines out of that early part of chapter 15. And, it, and then it gets down into the idea that we're called to bear fruit for God. But what Jesus was saying is a simple reality. You are already clean by the word I spoke to you. So here's what I want you to think about, about the possibility of having a clean, a sanctified imagination. Is Think of all the time in your life you've read the Word already. Even if you didn't read it forward, and I'm not suggesting you quit, but think of all of that time where, where the Scripture has, has been, uh, washed over you. Think of all the time you've read the red letters where Jesus spoke to you. Think of all the time where you've, if you're the kind of person like I am that journals and and, and has developed a certain degree of faith and confidence that Jesus answers those thoughts and questions. Think, I'm thinking of all the times that Jesus has answered my prayers, answered my dialogue, spoken back to me in, in the journal. He said to his disciples, in the context of my father's the husband, you're the vine, uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and he's going to prune and clean so that you can bear much fruit. This is a very positive scenario so that you can bear much fruit. 
that you and I are clean by the words that he has spoken to us. So how many of in here would acknowledge that either through Scripture or through a personal encounter with the Lord, through prayers answered, or maybe even through words of prophecy or teaching or something along those, how many of you believe that, that Jesus has spoken words over you or to you? Okay, good. Those words have power in them to make you clean, right? The alternative to that is we have to clean ourselves, and that's not a good, good process. So that's what I mean. By coming to Jesus, by opening our spiritual eyes and engaging our clean imagination. So uh, we, we engage in Encounter the Lord some, uh, here uh, in a couple different meetings a week that we call ascensions, and I'm not sure we're going to stick with those names because nobody knows what ascension means. They think it means going up, and it does sometimes, and sometimes you don't have to go up. You have to go anywhere. But... Uh, I don't, you know, we're going to get into this in just a little bit uh, from last week, but I don't want you to think that if you're to be willing to engage in an encounter with Jesus, you have to, you have to see everything 100% right. And you have to hear everything 100% right. Now, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but uh, here are two gifts to us. And these gifts have been around in the church for a very, very long time. Very long time. If you go back and you study desert mystics, if you study the early church fathers, these uh, contemplation encounter was a, a big, huge part of their life. If you read the Gospels and you read particularly Paul's letters um, with an eye to understanding it, Paul talks about encounters he had. I mean, he got saved with an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had an encounter uh, that uh, really rocked his world there. Uh, he also said, you know, I don't know whether uh, it was in the spirit or in the natural, but I was caught up and saw things in heaven I couldn't even say anything about. And uh, so these are these are our realities. And then Jesus would go away and spend time with the Father. There's not really records of any of those times except the one in the Garden of Gethsemane. So i could it be that Jesus was going with a list, but more often than not, I think he was going to listen. And the reason I think so is because Jesus characterized his life like this. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And then he goes, these words are not my own, but they're the, the Father working in me. And that's in John 14. And so if that was the style of life that Jesus had, don't you think that that would be a style of life that would be good for us to have? Now, if it wasn't possible for us to have, if we're just stuck out there on the outside and all we've got is the written words on a page and our ability to rationally go through and analyze those things, well, that's the way it is. But that doesn't seem to be the case because Jesus kept bringing himself to people right after the resurrection. He barged into the room through the walls. He continues to reveal himself. In Acts, it says that uh, he went about doing good through the hands of the apostles. And so I think this is the reality, and I do believe this. I believe these are two gifts, these two in particular. Now, there's other stuff we can do. We can study the Scripture. I think that's fantastic to do. We can listen to guys like me yak at you. That's good sometimes. And 
Less good others. Depends. But, but these are two things you can take into your own life. And you can be a steward of. And you can, you can literally draw life from it. In the same exact pattern, in the same exact way as Jesus did. And keep in mind that it's not a distance issue. Ephesians says that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus dwells in your heart through faith. So it's not like you've got to listen for a long, long way away. But again, we, we uh, took some time to look at our hearts uh, about two years ago and, and, and go after some detail about the nature of our heart. And one of the things that we saw was that because there's a few verses that, that speak about darkness, uh, you know, that, that makes, makes you afraid to think about hearing the voice in your heart. But there's no reason to be. There's no reason to be. Because uh, even understanding that my heart has the capacity to hold on to some things that are not true and that are not good. If Jesus is living in there, what's the more powerful entity in my heart? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So I, I, I just don't think we should be afraid of that. And contemplation puts us in a position and encounter puts us in a position to do that. Okay, so... Does that make a little sense, those two definitions? Enough to go forward? Okay. Why receive and practice these gifts? Because they enable us to obey the call to come to Jesus, to come to me and receive. Now, you can just let me say that, and you can say, well, yeah, that makes sense. What does it mean? If it doesn't mean something like this, what does it mean to come to Jesus? so that you can receive life. Now, for some of us, we grew up in a religious structure where coming to Jesus meant getting saved. Right? And, and, and so, one of the things we've got to battle against is we've got to battle against the compression of the concept of coming to Jesus just to that one event. And I totally suggest we should come to Jesus and, and receive salvation. I'm not suggesting not. But it's not over. That's not it. Jesus wasn't saying... Come to me as a one-time event. And I'll show you because there's like three or four different places where he talks about it and it has different fruit. So the idea is not just to attach that idea of coming to Jesus and receiving something to these two things. I'm here to suggest to us that these two and some other means, there probably are other means of worship, other means of, of engagement, but these two are really important. They have the power to help us obey. And the obey is not just for the sake of obeying. Come to me, if we just obeyed that, and Jesus was where this front table is, and I stepped forward, that might be enough. But but he doesn't say that. He says, come to me and receive stuff. Stuff that you can't get somewhere else. Okay? So let's look at that. So here's how we experience intimacy and the shared life of union with Jesus. And I was thinking about you, Paul, when I wrote that title, because that's the difference between a thought of coming to Jesus to get saved, coming to Jesus just to get your ticket to heaven, get your, get your sins forgiven and all that. And I'm, I'm good with all that. But this is to experience something. And it is to experience something that only Jesus can give. 
Okay, so we'll look at that. Here's the first one. John 5, 39 and 40. This is out of David Bentley Hart's New Testament. So if it sounds a little weird, uh, that's good. Because it it is. Because you think to take hold of the life of the age. Now in the New American Standard that says, uh, uh, you seek eternal life. Okay? But because you think to take hold, I like that, take hold of the life of the age, you search through the Scriptures. And those are what testify concerning me. Yet you do not wish to come to me in order to take hold of life. So Jesus is saying to these guys who were very studied in the, in the Old Covenant Scriptures, very studied in the Scriptures of that day. Obviously, the New Testament wasn't written at that time, but it would be somewhat equivalent to our Old Testament. And they were the scholars. They were the, the leaders. They were the religious professionals, the teachers, the elders. And he said, you search the Scripture thinking that in them you find life. But they are what testify of me, but you refuse to come to me. You won't come to me to lay hold of that life, to receive that life, to get that life. And so this think of, think of how important oh, taking a step to come to Jesus is because the fruit of it is life. Now the next passage down here, uh, Jesus says this again, and I'm going to uh, back up in just a second and read the, um, the part of this that I didn't put on the screen, but I want to look at the screen part first. Here in verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are toil and are burdened, and I shall give you rest. How big a deal is getting rest? If your soul is anxious, if your soul is shredded, if you're insecure about how God thinks about you or the value of your life, if you're not sure that the life you're living is one that is going to put you in good standing with God, rest is a pretty big deal. Take my yoke upon yourself and learn from me because I am gentle and accommodating in heart and you will find rest for your souls. As a pastor, I would say, in my experience over the last right, 40 years now, I would say the most common thing missing that causes grief to people, insecurity, shame, things like that, is the, the lack of, of an assurance and a rest before God. And so Jesus is sending out this amazing invitation to do so. Let me read back up a little bit here. Um, so if I were to back up to verse 25, it says this. At that time, Jesus spoke out and said, I give you fullest thanks, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you hid these things from the wise and the sagacious and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because such was pleasing to you. All things were delivered to me by my Father. Now, think about how comprehensive that statement is. All things were delivered to me by my Father. Therefore, the thing that you need and the thing that I need, by definition, was delivered to Jesus from the Father. He has it. Does that make sense? He has it. doesn't matter what it is. You need wisdom. You need help. You need the, the, the life-giving power of healing. All things were delivered. You need the authority to step into your destiny. You need the courage to face it. All things. Okay? All things were delivered to me by my Father. 
And then Jesus says this, And no one knows the Son except the Father. And neither does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal Him. Um, I've, I've, I've heard people talk about this and say, that's a pretty exclusive club. You have the only one who knows the Son is the Father. And the only one who knows the Father is the Son and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal Him to. We're going to get to that in just a second. So, how important is it to go to Jesus, or as Jesus, and put it from Jesus' perspective, to come to Jesus? Well, there is no other place to go to know the Father. In the beginning of the Gospels of John, it says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, out of the bosom of the Father, speaking of Jesus, the incarnate one, he has revealed him. And here it says no one knows the Father except the Son. So coming to Jesus is literally coming to our only source of the knowledge of God. But a lot of you would say, and I I get this all the time, well, a lot of people know God. No. A lot of people know gods. They think about gods. They make gods up in their mind and in their heart. And it's not just pagans and, and, and false religions that do that. A lot of us we pull God's images out of the Scripture in ways that Jesus doesn't reveal Him. And so coming to Jesus is super-duper critical. Now, here's the beautiful sort of non-qualifier. Um, you know, it could make you nervous realizing that no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal Him. Well, what if He doesn't wish to reveal Him? Well, here's the criteria. This is what qualifies you. Come to me, all who toil and a burden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself and learn of me, because I am gentle and accommodating, meaning my heart is open wide. I am accommodating, and you will find rest for your soul. It doesn't say maybe. You will find rest, and the reason is because my yoke is mild and my burden is light. If as I believe and am postulating for you today that the simple power of contemplation, giving time and silence and focus to come to Jesus, maybe preceding it with, Lord, I'm tired. I'm I'm tired of working my way to try to figure all this out. I'm just going to rest in in, in front of you and I'm going to come to you. Or, As Chris would say in the encounter thing, close these eyes, open these eyes, and come. Come and find rest. What did he promise in the other scripture? Oop, let me back up. There it is. To take hold of life. So I don't want to try to make too much just of the play on words thing, but There are so many ways that life feels like it's out of your hands. It's out of control. It may feel like it's just steamrolling you. Uh, You know, you may have some negative thing going on in your life medically or or, uh, a loss or finance or whatever the case. Anyway, life can be elusive and it can be scary. Jesus 
has life for us. And honestly, he's the only one with the kind of life we need to last forever. He's the only one. So this is why I think this is so critical. Here's another one. This is in John 7, 37 to 39. Now on the feast, uh, final day, it's a great day, Jesus stood up and called out loudly saying, if anyone is thirsty, so if you need life, if you're tired, you're weary, and you're burdened from trying to work your way out of the complications, or if you're thirsty, and, and I'm sure that applies to regular thirst, but it, it, it also applies to, I really want to know you. I really want to know you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink. Um, I heard my favorite line as a commentary on this particular verse was by uh, Winnie and... Uh, what's the piano? George? Yeah, George Georgian Banoff. He says, folks, he, he said, come and drink. Don't come and think. <laughs> if you're thirsty... Come and drink. Maybe if you're confused, you might want to come and think, but, but let that go too. But if you're thirsty, if you need something to come into you, come and drink. And then he says, whoever has faith in me, just as the scripture has said, out of his inner parts, stream of living water will flow. This is another one of the fruit of coming to Jesus. This is, do you see why I'm saying this is much more practical and much more universally applicable in our daytime life, in our nighttime life, and living out the, the, the life and destiny that we have? It's not just about coming to Jesus and being born again or saved. And again, I'm not against that, but too many people lose the invitation to life. They lose the invitation to the flow of the Spirit in their life. And they lose the invitation to rest and security and peace because they don't realize that you have this invitation now. And it's open because of his accommodating heart in 10 minutes from now, 20 minutes from now, 10 days from now, 20 days from now. That's why I think the habit of these gifts, the habit of contemplation, and the habit of uh, just simply believing for an encounter Closing your, your eyes and going, Lord, open up my, open up my spiritual eyes. And, and I offer you my imagination that has been cleaned by the words you've spoken to me. And you know what? If you're not comfortable with that, just take like five, ten minutes and read something out of the gospels and then say, okay, Lord, so your word has just passed through my head and my heart. And you say, I'm clean because of that word. So I'm going to take the risk that you're telling me the truth and that you're going to straighten me out if I'm wrong. And I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm come. I come. Will you receive? Will you open up to me? Now, there is a little thing here that I want to talk about because I had a couple of questions about some stuff. All right. So again, David Bailey Hart. I went back and I looked at the the Greek as best I could, and the way Dave David uh, Dr. Hart wrote this little highlighted section down here is about as accurate as you could write it in the Greek. 
Okay. Now, it'll sound weird to you because most of you read out of King James or New American Standard or something, and there's all kinds of filler words in there because this sounds so weird and wrong. All right. But here's what it says. Now, he said this in regard to the Spirit, whom those who had faith in him were about to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus had not been glorified. So let me ask you a question. Was there no spirit at this time when Jesus was doing what he was doing at the temple preaching? No, of course there was. Of course there was. Remember Luke said that uh, he observed that the spirit descended on Jesus and remained on him. And uh, at Jesus' baptism, uh, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit descended in the form of a dove and remained on him. And the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness shortly thereafter. And uh, Jesus said, um, well, the point is, we would miss the purpose of these words and this revelation if we got our arms folded like this and go, hmm, well, that can't be the Scripture because it says there was no Spirit. All right. And so that's a segue into what are our expectations as we contemplate? What are our expectations as we encounter God? All right. Uh, how many of you were here last week when Chris did the encounter? Okay. All right. So if you remember, the very, very first thing that he did is he said, okay, I want you to look around the room and... Um, and then he said, I want you to close these eyes and open these eyes and get yourself kind of oriented in the room so you know where you're at. And I happen to be standing over there just in front of the seat that Vicky's sitting in right now. And, of course, I've seen this room a lot. And so I could see it. I could sense the tree behind me, all this kind of stuff. And then he said, if you remember, where is Jesus? And, and did you notice that people said different things? Uh, some said he's standing next to me. Some said he's standing behind me. He was standing next to me. Uh, so, so let me ask you the question. In an encounter like that, especially when there's more than one person having it, like in that room, where was Jesus? <laughs> he was actually in front of Richard and all the rest of us were deceived. No. <laughs> no. Because why? We're coming, we're responding with this thing. We're responding to the call of Jesus to come to me. Now, do you think Jesus has the, the place to be here for me and here for you in the same way? In other words, he, he, he's not limited to just answering by, oh, I'm going to have to stand on the platform so everybody can see me from the same angle. All right, the next thing that Chris said was he says, what's he wearing? And I can pick on Tim a little bit because he's not here tonight. He and, uh, he and Meg are, are uh, taking care of the um, uh, mountaintop marriage retreat out at El Tesoro because their leaders are off with family. But um, at least I don't see him up there. Okay. But anyway, Tim saw Jesus with a white robe and a gold sash. And because I spend a lot of time going up with, with Tim and, and encountering Jesus, I can tell you that nine times out of ten or maybe... 19 and a half times out of 20, Jesus appears to Tim in a white robe and a gold sash. Now, I don't know if you guys remember what I said. I said, huh, he's in a green tunic. Now, 
was Jesus in a green tunic? Or was Jesus in a white robe with a gold sash? Or whatever any of you guys saw him as? I think the answer can be yes. And now that brings up a question. We will miss the reality of what the encounter is for if we judge it by the wrong standard of reality, the wrong standard of accuracy. And this is something I really want to try to help us understand because I think thinking you might be wrong about what Jesus is see, what you're seeing or what he's saying can really keep you from believing that you can come to him and that he'll receive you. So like the very first time that I ever had this kind of an encounter, a deliberate encounter, it's intentional. But the first time I saw, uh, I had an intentional encounter, it was back at Bethel. And um, Judy Franklin was doing a, a class for the, the pastor's retreat that I was at. And some of you were there. And uh, that was a long time ago. And uh, she said, just close your eyes and then ask Jesus if he would receive you. And there was some instrumental music playing over the sound system. I was sitting on steps. And I was willing to do it. I'd never had that kind of a experience before. This was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And uh, I closed my eyes, and, and this sort of scene materialized in front of me. And there was a, a pathway across like a pond, and it was like a gravel pathway. It had a little bit of grass on the sides. And there was a pond that, that this bisected, and it was on either side. And I saw someone standing at the other end of the pathway in the beginnings or entry of this garden with his arms out, but I couldn't see who it was. Couldn't see any details about his face. And so, you know, she just said, if you see Jesus beckoning you to come, then just, just walk over. And so I did. And, and I didn't get up to leave. I did this in my heart. And uh, in my now clean, sanctified imagination, I didn't know what that was at the time. So I just, as I got closer, all of a sudden Jesus came into focus and he, and he looked like Jesus, whatever that looks like. But he looked like Jesus to me and he had a big smile on his face. And I got close and he embraced me and he said, let's sit down. And we got in this garden, had this amazing conversation, and that was my very first encounter. Now, I don't know what other people in the room, because there was like uh, 500 of them in there. I don't know what they saw, and I don't know how Jesus met them. But there's a lot of people that sleep in the same time zone every night. And some of those people Jesus visits in their dreams. And he's probably visited most of you at one point in a dream. And just because the person in the apartment next to you had an encounter with Jesus that wasn't the same as yours doesn't mean because it's not, it's not a matter. It's Jesus and you. He's saying to you, Bev, come to me. And he's saying to you, Janet, come to me. And we can do that. We can do that. Because, and this is super important, okay? These encounters, this invitation to encounter Jesus is not to make doctrine. It is to instill and nurture relationship. Instill and nurture relationship. It's to take the love of the Father and make it real to you. And Jesus meets lots of people in lots of ways. One of the... Okay, I'll just say this, and this may cause you some trouble, but um, one of the precious things about how God accommodates us 
Well, I, I'll do a little background to the story. So Richard and I, uh, and Doug was with us at the time too, we were, we were up at um, a church in Denver at a conference, and a guy named Paul Young, if you've heard of Paul Young, wrote the book The Shack. Paul was starting to teach, and, and he just flabbergasted us. I mean, I don't think any of us really had heard Paul speak or knew what he was doing, and it was super stunning. But he was talking about the accommodating that, that God does to come to us. Now, now think about this. The idea of God accommodating so that we can understand him or see him or encounter him sounds weird. It sounds like, you know, we're the, we're the sinner and he has to adapt. But no, think of it the other way. He's infinite. And we look through tiny little holes. And so he's got to show us a tiny part of something for us to be able to see it at all. Otherwise, it would be just like laying on your back out under a dark sky and gazing off into the universe. So, Paul used the illustration of, of Abram. And in Abram's culture, the way you related to God and God related to you was through sacrifice. And so, at the really critical moments in Abram's life, in faith, he heard God say, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac. And he did. And you can tell that it was a cultural thing that everybody understood because his son is like not an infant. He was big enough to carry the wood on his back to go up there, and he didn't even resist. So this was the culture. Now later, through the prophets, God says, I never desired sacrifice. And you could tell that he didn't want that sacrifice because he stopped it, you remember? There was a, a lamb in the thicket. What God was doing is he was trying to tell Abraham, you think that I, God, am the one that wants you to sacrifice to me, but I am actually the one that's going to provide the sacrifice for you. That's where that revelation came into this world and into the pagan thought about God. All right, so now I don't know how momentous my encounter or your encounter or the fact that I saw Jesus in a green tunic and Tim sees him in a white robe with a red sash I mean, I have some ideas why that is such a, an edifying image and an encounter for Tim because of his background in church and Catholic church and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, Jesus, I felt like Jesus showed me himself in a green tunic because I had been preoccupied with this thing in John where, where Jesus, she said, she thought he was the gardener. And I really felt like when I was asking, why, why a green tunic? Because it wasn't even like anything special looking, you know, not, not like a, like a nice green vest over a white robe. It was just like a, Green tuning. He says, oh, this is what I look like as the gardener. That's why she didn't recognize me. Now, is that a doctrine? Do I want you to believe that as a doctrine? No, I don't care what you believe. No, I shouldn't even probably said it because it was for me. It touched my heart. It let me know that Jesus knows what I'm seeing and feeling and trying to understand and convey about how much he loves us and how much he loved Mary and, and all this kind of stuff. That's all I'm saying. The same thing goes with the contemplation. Your mind's going to go someplace and you may end up staring at a bug or something and getting a major revelation out of it. Now, let's not try to make that the next tenet of fate that we have based on the bug, but let's not, let's not think that's all revelation is for. All right, so I think the Spirit, there was a Spirit, even in the times of John chapter 7 when Jesus was, was talking there. So I'm careful now not to go, wow, David Bentley Hart, you really screwed that translation up. I'll look at the Greek, and, and, and it won't say that. But unfortunately, it does say that in the Greek, and it's confusing. Except 
now I understand. I know what he's talking about. You do too. He's talking about that that outflow of the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. And it was creating an emphasis and an expectation in the lives of the disciples, even though they didn't really know it. And maybe that's why I saw a green tunic and maybe this. Now, I had some questions from some of you, and I, I caught it myself. Chris stood right about here. And so you know, I've been trying to get a hold of Chris. I haven't been able to make the call, but I'm going to call him and talk to him about this because I don't want to dishonor him if he hears this. But he was sitting here, and I don't know if you guys remember the story, but he was talking about being a bad dad and how he was not willing to come to Jesus. Jesus says, keep coming, keep coming. And I wrote down, uh, I've got it in my journal, but I think I can remember it. Help me, Lord. So, so what, what, uh, what Chris, the question he asked Jesus, and he asked him twice, is he closed his eyes, but he wouldn't come. He kind of was in shame over it. He said, I'm a bad dad. I don't understand how my foolishness doesn't make you angry and create separation. And the first answer that Jesus gave was, well, I didn't get off the cross early. I stayed there through the whole thing. So there's nothing left that, that isn't taken care of. And then Chris goes, okay, so I'm kind of dense is the exact word he said. And so he said, I heard that, but I still, I just go, I just still, I don't understand how my foolishness cannot make you angry and create separation. And then he said that Jesus said, God was angry, but that was all poured out on me and there's none left. Now, I don't ascribe to that pattern of atonement. But I don't think that Jesus didn't appear to Tim in a white robe with a gold sash just because I saw him in a green robe. Now, again, these encounters help us understand the revelation. They are not designed to replace the boundaries of that revelation. Now, it's not, and, 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 and you know, I'm going to have some mercy on, on what Chris heard because that's probably what he needed to hear because of the theological base that all of us grew up in. And, and I can't wait to talk to him about it, actually, to see. But uh, here's how I know that, that here's how I can give their grace for the honesty of that encounter. I don't know if you remember, the last thing he said, though, after, after both questions was, he said, so that is how I went from having a theory to an actual experience to know that there weren't a storeroom of frowns stored up there for me when I come to Father. So now, I don't know about the path, but I know the end was a good thing. I don't really understand why Moses said, I mean, why uh, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so they can go out in the desert and worship me. Because eventually they were doing that, but that was not the actual plan. <laughs> okay? So, just like this, let's not, and here's basically what I want us to not do. I don't want you to fail to respond to the beautiful invitation for either contemplation 
or for uh, visitation and encounter because you're afraid that you're going to violate something and turn into a heretic. Because you're not. Because we're not going to make doctrine out of it. We're not going to build a denomination out of it. What's really going to happen, you're not even going to be able to leverage me into some corner because of what you see. And you know what? This is no different than prophecy. New Testament prophecy, Paul admonishes the church in um, Corinthians, there in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, so all of you can prophesy one by one and let the others judge. Why? Well, because it may only be relevant to you. Let the others judge. So the point is, we can trust Jesus. We can take a risk on the idea of obeying Jesus when he says, come to me. The alternative is to attach it to an event like your salvation, or attach it to something, or what the most of us do, is we just don't do it at all. Let's give it a risk. Let's give it a try. Okay? The call to come to Jesus is our most basic path to receive and share his life. And since he's the only one that knows the Father, and since he's the only one that reveals the Father, if you want to be daddy's little boy or little girl, the only place to get that life is from Jesus. And this is another thing that's, that, that is so important about thinking about this. Most of us have grown up in our entire Christian experience thinking of our life as independent from Jesus' life. Like he died for us and he forgave our sins, but it's now our life to live sort of in an independent bubble. And that's where you get things like following Jesus or trying to live for Jesus or something. No. He, he wants to, you know, he, the, 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 the scripture reveals that if, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to myself. And he was lifted up. And he drew all to himself. You're one of the all. And the goal of that is that you could share in the life that he has with his Father in the Spirit. And so to learn to share in that life, we have these two gifts, these two tools. And we have others. Scripture course, study course, all this kind of stuff. But we have this. Contemplation. And that's why I had these guys come. And that's what I want us to get out of it. Let it minister life and rest and the flow of the Spirit to you. Because these two, these two practices, these two disciplines, these two habits, these two exercises will do it in ways that other stuff won't. And don't stop doing the other stuff. Don't stop reading the Bible. Don't stop praying. Don't stop uh, coming to church, listening to people talk. When I say this is the most basic thing, the summary of all calls to ministry that the Bible closes out with is in Revelation chapter 22. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come too. And let the one who thirsts come. Do you see how this is an expression of what Jesus said all along? Let the one who wishes take freely of the water of life. What is that? Well, that's the water that flows out of the throne of God. That is the life that Jesus is offering. 
That is the thing that when you take freely and drink it, it starts to out of you. And and what you want, and what I want, out of our Christian experience, is we want the vitality of knowing that our life is connected with God. We want the security of the rest of knowing that He loves us and belongs. we belong to Him. And you want the dynamic, the bubbly power of that life coming out of you. And I think these are two tools that will help. So, Anybody have anything that they want to talk about? Does anybody have a testimony that would reinforce this? Does anybody have a question? Um, did I sufficiently explain that we don't have to make one another? We're not trying to make doctrine. Now, if you say something that's just like 80 miles into left field, we may have a conversation about it. But, but that's not really the point. It's not right. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus is continuing to reveal himself and the Father to us. He promises that. I have made your name known. I will make it known. John 17. Okay? He also lives in our heart through faith. Anybody got anything they want to share? Yeah. Come on up here. I need you to use the mic so people can hear you. So basically, I don't know if I kind of made it an oversimplification, but I think like when you see that Jesus was in a green tunic, and someone else forgot who Paul. Uh, Tim, um, Tim, some uh, white robe, white gold robe sash. with a gold sash. But it's like uh, I, I was thinking of God meets us where we're at, mm-hmm. and I'm not at where someone else is at. Absolutely, no. I think that's and it's just that simple. That is exactly it. That's not an oversimplification <laughs> at all. That is just the simple. I mean, and when you think about it, okay. how else could he do it? And why did he say, "Hey, it's good for you that I go away"? Now you talk about a mysterious statement. Jesus is living with you, and these guys have been walking with him for three years, and he says, it's good for you that I go away. Why? Well, because if I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit. Why? Because now you don't have to be on the dusty trails of Jerusalem to have an encounter with me. You can live in Manhattan, which wasn't Manhattan at the time. Or, you know what I'm saying? It could be anywhere. So, yeah, I think that's exactly uh, a reality. Yes, Janet. Okay. Um, the imagination truly is a place where we you know, meet Jesus. Um, and when I was in the hospital, um, I saw Jesus as like a Middle Eastern man, you know, brown, kind of skinny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in, I believe he said like, I'm Jacob, you know, I'm, I'm that person, you know, from the beginning, Abraham, Jacob, mm-hmm. Isaac. And I just felt like I was being, um, sucked into the his body like embraced into his body and absorbed and that was good that was awesome but you're still here but i'm still here and you're still testifying about it yeah see it's it's for creating it's it's creating relationship right it's creating trust he's he's yeah i didn't disappear no (laughs) no that's beautiful that's beautiful that's beautiful anybody on zoom got a thought if you have thoughts approach you feel free to share when we have a spot richard yeah, I, imagination is probably the most profound thing that God has given us because that's how he communicates to us. Mm-hmm. It's uh, And every every idea that we have, that comes from him. He's always communicating through our imagination. We brainstorm, which is imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come up with ideas to do things, which is imagination. And those are all things that God 
God comes in and, and brings forth and inter, intertwines with us. And so imagination is, is so great and powerful. This is just taking it a step further of actually interacting personally, understanding that not only is this imagination that I'm thinking about and so forth, I'm now interacting with someone as I close my eyes. I'm interacting with him personally in a real way. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. yeah. Stay there just a second, see if you think it makes sense. So let's say that you, uh, okay, so Kevin, you uh, have a master's in electrical engineering, correct? Okay, you have a master's in engineering management, okay. You didn't start engineering management, right? You started with the electrical engineering in the first part. So let's go back to your bachelor's days. You had a bachelor's in electrical engineering. How stupid would it have been for you to invest the time and the energy and the money to learn the mechanics of electrical engineering and then had a professor say, now you got to be careful, Kevin, because it's only the mechanics that really are true. You can't use your imagination in this field. Because the whole point of learning the mechanics is so that the thing that doesn't yet exist can come into being because you imagine it, right? Same same this. So we have a version of Christianity where this and five commentaries is the only acceptable source in most of our lives. And you have an infinite God seeking to communicate his heart of love to a variety of finite people, all of whom have different life experiences, all of whom have different languages, how could the imagination not be, as you said, the central faculty, the central sense that he uses? Yeah, and it's through imagination that we minister to others. Mm -hmm. It's through imagination that we have a word for somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's through imagination that we see healing, so we pray for them. That's right. So um, not only the, the imagination helps us to see what God wants us to see, helps us to, I mean, it just opens up everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just something confined to our mind. That's another thing that people think about. Well, I'm just making something up in my head. The scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart. So there's something about the heart. And, and Paul says that with the heart, a man believes unto righteousness. So there's something about our faith, there's something about our belief, there's something about the creative aspect of our light, what we see, what we think, it's all there. Anybody on Zoom got a comment or question? Yeah, go ahead. Last week, I, I know, I think I shared it a little bit, but the week before, I had an encounter with my imagination as a being. And um, I went through some healing in that uh, it was a past trauma or something that I had went through. And the Holy Spirit helped in that encounter to heal something that I had saw wrongly, you know, because I was younger and I didn't know that um, I didn't have the guidance at the time. So Holy Spirit had encompassed my mom and um, like changed the whole situation and in that i encountered my imagination as a being and and ever since then i've been a little bit you know trying to get to know my imagination in a different way but it's part of me there's like so many layers but yeah 
How, how close can you come? Uh, you know, the, uh, the thing I was going to say that brought up Paul Young and uh, Abraham is, um, and I don't know whether it was at that meeting, Richard, or it was when Paul was talking about the accommodation of God at another place I was at, but there's a ministry that he helps work in and support for women that are sex trafficked. And they have the hardest time having an image of a man come to them when they're trying to overcome his trauma. And what he found very consistently is that the Lord would appear to them like a golden retriever or like a Labrador at first. And it started a healing process of them letting something and someone safe come in. And I know that, you know, you can question that if you want the legitimacy of it, but uh, in the scripture, he's described as a lion. He's described as a lamb. And then my favorite image, a goat with uh, ten horns and seven eyes. <laughs> okay? So are you going to say, oh, Jesus, you can't appear like a goat with ten horns and seven eyes or whatever, seven horns and ten eyes. Really? Not even if I have to create a message to the tribes of Israel so they will understand who I am and that I'm coming? Oh, oh, okay. I guess I don't know enough to tell you how you can and cannot appear. And so is it really legitimate, Lord, for you to appear to a woman who every man in her life in the last 15 years has abused her to come to her so that she can scratch your head and ears and begin to hug you and feel the security and the warmth of your breath on her and then open her eyes and see you there as you are in a white robe and a gold sash. Amen. Amen. I guess what I want to say is I want to say thank you, Paul, for bringing us this stuff on contemplation. And Chris, when you get a chance to hear this, thank you for bringing us this stuff on encounter. But most of all, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for revealing the Father. Thank you for revealing the glory of the Father. And, and help us, Lord, be able to discern the difference between doctrine and a kiss. Amen. 